Welcome to Point of View of Censor, where views are based on facts and not feelings. I'm Dr. Renaissance. Welcome back. It's your favorite brother, DJ the Great. Hey guys, my name is Yusuf. I'm here. I'm a guest on the podcast today. Welcome. And I'm Verdelia Turner, native of the city of Atlanta, and I represent teachers. So real quick, I want to give um, Brother Yusuf you know, a brief introduction of what he does. I know he, he owns a cleaning business. I think it's very great. I saw a lot of great reviews on it, and I'm going to kind of give you a little bit on that. He also does a bit of fitness as well, and I just got came to know him. He's very well educated, so I want to give you an introduction. Yeah. Hey, guys. I'm Yusuf. Um, moved to Atlanta about five years ago to go to Morehouse, and during my time at Morehouse, um, I wanted to build a company, so I started a cleaning service startup after my time at a corporate company. It just wasn't a good fit and I was always in entrepreneurship. And so started a cleaning company during my senior year. And during that senior year, right at the end, the company started to work. And since then I've been able to grow the company. And right now we're at about 250K revenue. We have over 300 customers on our residential side. Um, we're on track to do about 1.5 million, I'd say within about the next two years. and. We also really focus on like vacation rental cleaning. So for Airbnbs, we're really building a company that focuses on that to pretty much make it easier for the host because the cleaning is the most important part for them. So we really make their life easier by taking on and automating that cleaning side for them. And so that's a journey that I'm on building that company and I'm learning a lot about it. How old are you? I'm 23. 23, so wow, so 23 years old, um, in that type of capacity, like how is that mentally, you know? Because, you know, generally, you know, us growing up, we don't really generally hear 23-year-olds, you know, doing those type of capacities such as what you're doing. I would say it's most definitely tough to the point where you're still 23 years old. So, you know, I still want to hang out with my friends. I still want to, you know, travel, do a lot of things, but I have to, you know, kind of suppress it and focus on, like, what it is, like, the bigger picture. Like I'm saying, okay, I want to build a company that does millions of dollars here. So I have to kind of do what people ahead of me have done. I have to focus. And so I'll say like, that's the toughest part is like that focus. But over time, I think I'm gaining the knowledge. And from day one, I'm most definitely further along than I was now. And I would say like, I make mistakes. I fail, we've lost customers. Bridges were burned, but I would say I got faith in God, and I would say that's the biggest point because He's the reason to He told me to do what it, what it is that I'm doing. And so every time something's going on, I'm just like, all right, I deal with it. Like all the emotions that's going on, it's super emotional. I would say anyone who wants to start a company, they most definitely need to be ready for that emotional roller coaster that's going on, and you have to be ready. To hear people say constantly what you don't want to hear mm-hmm. and you have to be ready for people to tell you no all the time and it's not like no like you'll never do it a mentor of mine likes to say it's k-n-o-w like they don't know they don't know what it is that you're about to do yet so it's not no as if it'll never happen it's no because we don't know what it is you're doing yet so mm-hmm. you can circle back to opportunities which have happened and so i would say if, if I had to tell someone what to do, I would say most definitely be ready for the toughness of it. I don't think a lot of people talk about that. Like, mm. It's super hard. Mm. Yeah. Great insight. And so we also have a, um, 
uh, beautiful young lady with us as well, Miss Vidalia uh, Turner. She's um, the president of the Atlanta Federation of Teachers as well as the Georgia Federation of Teachers. And I just give you more insight. I'm sure she's done well more than just uh, those roles. So you want to give your introduction? Okay, I'm Verdelia Turner. I'm a native of the city of Atlanta, and I am not a young lady. On April 16th, I will be 67 years old. Yes. And uh, But I don't feel like it. <laughs> uh, I taught school most of my life. Uh, my father wanted me to teach, and uh, every, all of my family is from Georgia. Uh, I recently started uh, my own little podcast, so to speak, and it's called uh, Let's Talk. The reason that we did it uh, to augment what we were doing with the teachers it's because when we talk to the news, they have clips, and they won't go in there. Uh, the next thing is we're going to start educating the public on how to read those billion-dollar budgets that school districts are in charge of, and who's getting the contracts to do what, so they'll know the power of their school board. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very well put, well, glad you both were here. So I know before um, we get on, we were talking about Georgia politics and a lot of different things that's going on. We talked a little about Lucy McBath, her seat, and how she got to sixth district, to seventh district. We've just seen a lot of different things that's going on that people don't really know, or the direct public does not know. And so, I want to just get get you a brief time moment to give you a take of what you were just discussing. Okay. Well, uh, I remember Lucy McBath being asked before we did the redistricting, "How do you continue to win in um, area where it's part?" Democrat, part Republican. And this was asked by a national teacher leader, I was listening, and Lucy said, it's because I stay on the issues and I know my neighbors and I know what they want. It has nothing to do with parties. But unfortunately, you have to run on the party mm-hmm. uh, for somebody to support you. Um, but that's what was happening with, with you know, in the McBad uh, race. We were talking about the gubernatorial race also earlier, mm-hmm. and uh, the two folk who ran, of course, are the governor, Kemp, and um, House Leader Stacey Abrams. We know that 73% of the Democrat vote come from people of color. That's the bedrock of the Democratic Party. So, so much can be taken for granted when folk know that they can just get your vote. But you got new folk coming in the joint. You got folk like me leaving or dying out, so you got to replenish your troops. <laughs> so. What Stacey was able to represent was the black vote, the women vote, the gay vote, and then we started watching during the campaign black men being bashed for not supporting Stacey. And then we had a large number that came on out and supported Stacey. Uh, with the Kemp race, uh, Kemp had his own heels and battles. And you notice that he had competition in the primary. A sitting governor had competition from his own party in the primary. You'd be asking why. But Stacey didn't have anybody running against her. <laughs> and that's because I think as African American people, and I'm African American through and through, uh, we have a tendency to say, okay, well, you know, we got racism and economic uh, inequities and all these things, so we're going to put a black person in and it's because they're black. This particular governor had uh, a person running against him, and that was pretty loaded with money. But he had to come from behind and still win, which, by the way, and the governor may not appreciate if he sees me on this saying this, but his father-in-law was a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And so, for as I'm concerned, sitting here today, I'm not Democrat or Republican. I used to be true blue Democrat. But now, I think we, as African Americans, are going to have to start leveraging our votes. We're going to have to look at who's doing what for us. 
and uh, understand why they can get some things done and why they can't get some things done. So uh, in this state, a lot of money came into my beloved Georgia. And I say that because I was born and raised here. Mm -hmm. And my family didn't go back seven generations now, just that far. And my family's from Mike'sville, the same place Herschel Walker's from. One need to ask me some questions about that. I'm going to up too. But I dare people from outside of the state, folk who used to go against outside money, foreign money, dark money coming in, uh, the wind votes, uh, doing the same thing now. See, when it comes down to that money, getting that money from anywhere and so much money put in the media. And then they find people in the community, folk who are influential like yourself, or some ministers, or some bishops, or some organizations, and people who are supposed to not be NAACPs. They have ways of paying folk off in both parties to get those votes out for them. Now, in the community that would be voting more so, I would say on the other side, the red side, you had flat out, when you look at that vote, you had more Caucasians vote Republican. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, you know that Vernon, y'all know Vernon Jones. Mm-hmm. Vernon Jones went Republican. Kwanzaa yeah. uh, Hall went Republican for different reasons, though. And folks said, oh, that's bad. That's bad. Not necessarily. Uh, it's according to what some of them were giving us messages. If you have to know why Kwanzaa was doing what he was doing and what had happened to him in that congressional race and et cetera, et cetera. We tried to take But we learned that we have to look beyond what our preacher in the pulpit is telling us or what uh, some talking head is telling us mm-hmm. or what Reverend Sharpton may be telling us. No disrespect to Reverend Sharpton, I'm just saying. We have to start questioning if we can get the information. What has this person done? What do they really stand for? Have we seen them in the street? All of a sudden they rise. And why? Mm-hmm. Okay. When we looked at the voting bill, I know I asked some people who are close to us and one of the organizations I'm very close to, they're researchers, what is the problem with the voting bill? Because we really want to know. And they sent me back something that was for fair fight. I said, this state's area goes through. Okay, I, I think when I went through Spelman and Atlanta University and uh, West Georgia College, we learned how to do research. Uh, we want to know, we want to look at both sides, right? And then um, <laughs> we were, people were sold outside of the state. My cousins were telling us outside of the state why they had to help Georgia. They help Georgia do what? Have to help help y'all out of the Confederacy. And excuse me. And so people were giving money, taking those phones and money. I'm sitting up there on a cruise with a Tony Evans group. That's a church group. And black folk found out I'm from Georgia saying, let me go here and get some money to Georgia. I said, for what? My nephew in Washington, I got to get some money to Georgia. My cousin in New York to Georgia. My cousin in New York to what? My cousin in Michigan. And that's when we found out that the blue part was soliciting money from all over for Georgia. Why? Because this is the home of Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. The church that I was Senator Ralph but Raphael Warnock, pastors, is Ebenezer. Now, he ain't Martin Luther King, but folk going to see the church. Hello. Mm-hmm. Right? No disrespect to Raphael Warnock. Just tell you how it worked. It marketed. <laughs> right. By the way, some of these folk have packs of their own. You can do a whole lot of th- different things with packs. 
I'm not against folk raising money. Sometimes I'm against the messaging though, mm-hmm. how they're doing it. So Georgia, why Georgia? Why are we honing in on Georgia? Why all of a sudden y'all so interested in taking my state? Because Georgia has one, three, 13, 13 electoral votes. I thought it was 16. Oh, do we have 16 now? Yeah, we 16. might, somebody check it on Google. That even make us even hot. That make us even hot. So now. But 14 and the two. All right, look, look it up right quick for us. But it's a whole lot. That means we're the top, what, 10%? You need the state hmm. to win what? To win the nation. There you go. Win that presidential election. Why are those positions so important? Like, for instance, why is governor so important? Well, this big fat budget in Georgia, the governor has a lot to say so over it. Just look at the lottery. I think that's about an $80 billion budget right there. Look at various contracts, so many departments at the state down there. Dozens and dozens where contracts go through, all kinds of contracts. Who's going to build the roads and the bridges? Who's going to cut the trees down in the forest? Who's going to clear the roads? Who's going to, how many? I think 16. Hey, if you find 16, oh my God. So, government hands out money. And government seats contractors, innovators, companies who could take it into the future. This governor, when he won, said that one of the things that he was going to uh, bring to Georgia is to make us, I guess, the capital of the country as it relates to the electrical car industry with batteries in it, etc. Think about that. That business now ain't no gas business. Those electrical cars are here to stay. So he's going to look for it. People are going to bid for I can do it. My industry can do it. And the state is going to augment with money. That's what the federal government does. That's what states do. They're going to help you do what? Bring the economy up. That's what they did with the blueberry farmers and all. Government is the biggest business around. So you want your man or woman in there that's going to control the money. Not just the money, but where are they going to put the money? Where is the future? Is it good to have these industries? Mm -hmm. Or is it better for the environment or not good for the environment? Huh? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. How much emissions is given off by those plants versus those cars? What happened to rail? How come we're not developing that? You'd be surprised about politics in that. Mm -hmm. Even in the city of Atlanta, who gets those concrete contracts? it's, It's only one or two folk now. I mean, like when that bridge burned down up there, 85. Oh, yeah. Look at the man who got it. You should get a whole lot of other contracts. All right, you see. Uh, but the deal is, you know, Kasim was financed to get into office. So you start looking at their finances. Follow the money. Follow the money. Follow that money. So just for <laughs> me being younger, especially not being from Atlanta, mm-hmm. like since like you were being like, brought up like when was it that you started to really understand like what was going on in the city when my own union kicked my behind what <laughs> you can tell uh, when my own union kicked my behind see I was uh, brought up to believe in uh, altruistic this and heavenly the other and follow my leaders and the black cause and all of that I worked at city hall when Maynard Jackson God bless his resting soul was mayor 
don't say that against Maynard, y'all, because I'm gonna have problems with you. <laughs> but anyway, um, we were always conscious. My cousin is sitting over here. Our parents were, were conscious. Our, our parents were to help. They cleaned up houses and then we would see them five days or six days later. Uh, they, some of them were brought up on farms and, and et cetera. And they would talk about the politics of how they had to survive and get along and what white folk control, the white man, that's what they would call it. Mm-hmm. They were glad to see an Alan Clay power and they were glad to see a Sammy Davis on TV and they were on when they saw, ooh, 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 Lena Horn is on TV, you know, that kind of thing. But they brought us up to have a conscience for the church, our people, our neighborhoods, and they knew they were glad to get the right vote and what power it was. That's how we learn. And things began to develop. When Dr. King was killed, I mm-hmm. didn't go see his body, but I stood there on a hill where that new Ebenezer church is. It was a big red hill. And we stood there and we looked right over that way when he passed through that day. Um, so our parents would talk about leaders and people. Uh, my mother really loved Jimmy Carter. She said, that's a good man, that's a Christian man, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so we developed that kind of consciousness. And believe it or not, our teachers, and this wasn't critical race theory, taught us why we need to, as African-American people, learn, pay attention, be attentive, obey. And that's what we did. And so as we went on to college, and I happened to go to Spelman and did a lot of studies over at Morehouse under the late Robert Brisbane, which also was a professor of Dr. King, not that old, but he taught. They taught us political theory, Dr. Moreland over at Spelman, thank God for those HBCUs, how the world operated. Some things that we'll never learn when we go to West Point or we'll go to Yale or we'll go to Harvard. I thank God for those HBCUs. Because we learned a history that I had not learned when I went to Bass High School. Mm. I think I was more crippled there in an integrated school. You know, my mama and daddy didn't own Atlanta General Constitution or have any stock in it. Or they weren't sitting at the table at General Motors and this is how the deals, this is what we're going to look for, this is how the revenue, this is how the budget goes. We weren't brought up like that. We were brought up with that consciousness. So we learned as we went and we started that over here. And you're saying Robert, he was one of the ones who really educated you guys on like what was going on. Robert Brisbane. Yeah, Robert mm-hmm. Brisbane. Dr. Robert Brisbane, yes. Okay. So uh, he would say, <clears throat> boys and girls, let me tell you, you know, Dr. King was an average student. He was always quiet. He was like a C student. And when he was a very good, very, very good orator, and Dr. King now was no dummy. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think I really do think that Dr. King loved God. Loved, I'm saying Jesus, some folk will say that. <laughs> but and Dr. King was a young man that uh, President Nixon of the NAACP in Birmingham at the time and Ralph David Abernathy said, let's get this young man right here because he can bring young folk. Young folk got energy and dreams. And they let him speak because they knew they were going to do that boycott. And my God, the paper and all took off. They had a plan. NAACP had a plan. And it took off. Negro leader, that was, that's what was a new Negro leader. New. So who was the old Negro leader and who elected Dr. King? We're glad we had Dr. King. But at the same time, you had a rise in Malcolm X. That was the antithesis of a Dr. King that was up north. 
and they and then you just look at power mic and them come along. We want black power, huh? And they were tearing up stuff <laughs> if they had to. And they were meeting the world with violence. We're gonna be violent if you're gonna be violent. And but not only that. Uh, Malcolm X was very shrewd. Now y'all know the story of Malcolm X and, and the Muslims were very well organized and disciplined. And they taught him how to organize. And they taught him more so the discipline of looking out for your community versus being assimilated. Hmm. So when you got those two men together, and they were together at first, then you needed a Dr. King in front of America. Because Malcolm X had a following. Y'all saw the movie, Denzel Washington and all were in it. He, uh, Malcolm X was just that powerful and more. So we need now black America in the face of the Vietnam War, supposedly a moralistic war, supposed to have been. Why did we fight Vietnam? We're still trying to one. But anyway, we need um, uh, Dr. King now to counter some of that stuff that these other leaders are doing, mainly up north. That's what we needed. That's what the nation needed. What do you think we need currently, if we need anything? We need some... We need people out there right, right now. Like, like I said, like we talk about Tamika Mallory. I know she's the main, like, she's the main uh, focal point that people talk about. Um, who else? What's the other guy on social media? How do you white look guy. at... Mm-hmm. The white guy that goes and highlights a lot of stuff on Instagram. He black, but he looks white. Oh, oh man. Jeez. He got beat up or something. Man, he has such a common name. Yeah, I forget his name. I cannot think of that man's name. With the glasses. Look mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He looks like what you think Malcolm X would look like. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of his name. How do you compare leaders of today versus leaders in the civil rights time? Or like real grassroots black empowerment? We have some. We have some. I was just at the uh, DeWitt Proctor Conference last night, and that's my first introduction to them. They've been around 20 years. And when I saw those ministers and leaders in their community who worked with the Reverend Barber in North Carolina, uh, those who have well, worked with Church of God in Christ, the bishops there, I'm not necessarily the bishop, I don't know if he was there or not, but these people are working in their community. They Some of them have renamed street gangs to be uh, ground community people. They have invited them in their churches. They've given them jobs. They've listened to them. The, these learned professors and men of God have done extensive study on the psychology of racism and what it has done to shape our communities and our thinking and their understanding young people and giving them jobs and having them understand themselves helping black women understand how beautiful they really are, women with melanin in their skin, and the job that America has done on us as to why we, you know, that sisters, I ain't against no sisters for doing this matter. I'm just saying, I'm not. Y'all see my hair straight. But why so many of us are doing the different face jobs, you see a lot of them on TV now, all of them looking alike. Mm-hmm. Got the noses out there and uh, there's so many of them with the weaved in, straight hair, and all that kind of stuff. Or while we're coming in thinking that we have to put the big butts on and all. But these men are getting into the psychology of how and why we are marketing, and who's marketing us. And we are meeting young people where they are. 
and listening to them. All gang members ain't bad, y'all. And they were saying, let's try to get away from that name, gang, because automatically you have put a negative connotation on that person. Some young people are belonging to these community groups or gangs <laughs> because they don't have anywhere else to go. It's their, that's their sense of community right there. There you go. That's who they got. Mm-hmm. That's their family. And when you start looking at systematically how families have been dismantled, I think of this uh, movie when Ernie and I came along. Uh, I can't think of them. Keep away from me, Mr. Welfare. You know, it's black movies that were coming out. Well, the black man could not be in the home if a welfare check was in there. You had to hide him. And now where in the world were you going to get a job? A well-paying job. And who owned everything. And who still owns everything. Yes. Huh? Now we could get some money, you know, NFL players and basketball players and all that could make some money. But let me see them own some teams. And, let, and, let, and then that's like, huh? Let's see UGA. All of UGA look more like with their football team. I love the Bulldogs. But let's see more opportunity for UGA, all these teams. Let's get on down in it. Contractors with the city of Atlanta, contractors with the state, contract with Gwinnett School System, contractors, people like Box Life and all. Not just put one or two black folk on your board, but your sales team and throughout. What I learned is from this conversation, I feel like you really opened up my mind to the, the importance of um, when you think voting, you're not really thinking about controlling money. Like how much money is actually in government and how it's actually business. Mm-hmm. So that's opened my mind to a lot because I come from a perspective of why not just do for your own? But there's a lot of money that you leave on the table. Um, how, how do we really get behind the money? And then once we have opportunity to get access to this money, wouldn't it be best to develop more things for ourselves rather than relying on people? The question that comes to mind, and I'm loving it, the question that comes to mind is, why would you expect these people who have been reaping these benefits for so long to offer this? And if you can get yourself in a position to get some of that money, why wouldn't you just develop for yourself? Twofold. Now, Frederick Douglass said that nothing... <laughs> Nothing, you know, it's a demand. You know, nothing uh, comes to us without us taking it. I'm trying to get the quote. You have to demand it. You demand it, okay? That's one way. Another way is to utilize the laws that are already there to make sure that you're getting your piece of the pie. What? Like, for instance, the federal government, you know, 5% of all the contracts are supposed to go to minority people. Right now, did you know in the state of Georgia there's a bill to redefine what minority is? Right. Oh yeah, and yeah, we're working to try to defeat that thing right now. Minority don't have to do it at all. They said nothing about women though. Remember, when affirmative action was our white women were double minorities. Right. And that kind of thing. But <laughs> so you use what's in your hand, but you also take advantage of the fact that thank God that democracy works on some level. Georgia is becoming browner. So therefore, you got a person like a governor, Kemp, 
who understands that too. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be mad at him for that, or are you going to do business with him? Right. As opposed to a person who looks like us saying, "I don't need you." No. Now I, I don't care what level that's on, be it racial, financial, or what. How in the world are you going to run for my governor and tell a teacher leader, "I don't need you. I got people in high places on the EMT." This is Stacey That's what Stacey said to me in front of Rita Scott, the CWA, in front of Charles Johnson of the AFT in the political department, and he did a report. I don't know where it is now. He may have burned it. I don't know. And I better not die funny. I always say that. So you better not die funny? I better not die funny. <laughs> and two of her aides. Now, Ava Mabel told me she was going to do that to me when I went in there. Representative Ava Mabel. She said, let me tell you how she's going to do it us. That's funny. I didn't know that. But when it came our time to die in education, others like former Representative Keith Heard, Keith, I'm going to call your name. And some others had told us how she acted toward them as she was leader. Like, what? They said, we never go into a governor's office by ourselves. We always take somebody else with us. But Stacy didn't do that. What? Now, I'm learning now. You're telling me. I'm over there trying to fight the charter school movement, you know, and and I'm I'm wondering, and see, so when you get money, what you do, you tap vote, and you run, and you put them in office, and they get there, they vote lockstep. That last, that first campaign, we saw all kind of women group, all kind of uh, little astroturf groups coming through here, and giving the message, remember that lady named Stacey um, Evans, who was running for Democrat, she got into the race, and Stacey Abrams was in the race. Next thing I know, Georgia Federation of Teachers got a monkey effigy up there. We were called monkeys for getting behind Stacey Abrams. Y'all, mm. I saved it before they took it down. Mm. Now, what Abrams could have done as a leader, I apologize. This never should have happened to her. Because what we said to her, that's why I had an AFT person in there, Charles Johnson. I said, I'm an educator. You're a lawyer. Let me work with you. That's what I was met with. I got people high places at AT. So I saw him on CNN. I saw my national president on CNN. I never saw him on Fox. You know, CNN is just as one side of his Fox. Fox is just as one side. Now, we need the news media. We do need the news media. It's a fourth branch of government, actually. And we love the news media. But sometimes it can get a little bit too slanted. Just coming from my, my generation's perspective, me, myself, you know, being a black male, when it comes to voting, I think that I wasn't as well educated, not only from just, you know, my family not going to college and maybe them not taking voting as serious, but I have friends who, you know, their parents, they were educated on why voting was important, but it's always like, oh, well, you need to vote. Oh, you need to vote. Exactly. But it's all, it's never that, well, like, People genuinely don't understand, like, well, why am I going to vote? We, I would say a majority of young blacks would say, like, well, that shit don't matter. Right. You know, like, right. why would I vote for the Matrix? Like, it's not going to it's not gonna matter for anything. Right. And I think that when it comes to, like, first, it's for, I can just speak for the young generation, is we need to figure out how can we break it through. Like, well, you know, we still are living in America. It's not like we've left yet. So at a certain <laughs> point... It's like, well, we have to demand it, but we also have to, like, we play the game that's set on our table. That we think that we don't have to play this game, that we're 
we're clearly not, you know, we haven't removed ourselves from it. We're still in the midst of it, right. but we're constantly just being played, in my opinion. Right. People aren't educated to what's going on. And if we were educated, our conversations would be different. Like, she understands what's going on. And she talked about how, you know, Mr. Maynard Jackson, Mayor Maynard Jackson, how, you know, he went and got himself educated and came back and was able to pretty much power Atlanta and allow them to get the bonds, to get the contracts, have the funds to be able to build Atlanta and build wealth. He went and got educated. He had the knowledge. It, it takes now, I think, not only just a man, but it takes us to like, well, first, let's let's start to understand why our vote matters. So we got to figure out how to make voting cool, I think. Right. I think that we get in on voting at the last leg of it. Uh, it's not interesting until you see famous faces or until, you know, you have a certain level of fear behind it. But I think if you were able to understand it from opportunity, the question that comes down for me is, how do you actually change my community? If I understood as simply as you were putting it that there's money in contracts for people who have businesses, and if their their heart is in the right place, would hire people and give them the opportunity. This is how this money could be distributed to us. I'd be more inclined to, to vote or, or care about it, right? Mm -hmm. Then you know, let me get out here and educate, sacrifice my time, you know, invest in myself, and from there I can make a change as an individual, my house, and spread it to my community. When really there's probably more money I could get by participating in that type of information. Like, okay, I had this business, or you had a cleaning business, but now there's a contract that probably cleans so-and-so, or this business, or the airport, or planes, or whatever, that can make you get to your goal faster. Yeah. But we just don't know about it. Who's cleaning the capital? Who's cleaning all the state buildings? Exactly. Who's doing all the grounds? Right. Who has those contracts at the stadium? Who's cleaning all of those grounds? I'm just talking about cleaning right now. All right. And how they get those contracts. And why so many African-American businesses, and I have a girlfriend right now that does popcorn and candy apples and all, and she's the third vendor. She has to work for the second contractor where you have some Dexo and two or three other big ones who got big contracts right here at, at the stadium. Hall. She subcontracts for the She's a subcontractor. And when she can't hurt <laughs> So, and then they usually don't know how you get certified and, and how these people are bought as deposit. There you go. I will wholeheartedly agree with that. When it, when it comes to like building a business, I can say for our community and just for what I see as far as what I'm learning and like the information that not only that I've learned just through school, but that also like, you know, I paid for information to understand like what's really going on and like we're a lot of people, you know, there there's certain people that genuinely know what's going on. There's a lot of people who don't. Like I would say, it's about eighty plus percent of the businesses in America make zero money, and it's twenty, I think twenty five million businesses in America. And so you got look, you got that twenty percent that is making money, and then out of that twenty percent, once you get to the ninety percentile, you got ten percent of businesses that have like over two employees. So you're looking at a lot of businesses where there's one person operating it. If you want to run a cleaning business, to clean a stadium, to clean a capital, to have a governmental contract, you have to actually be able to understand, like your op you have to understand operations of a business. You gotta understand payroll, 
You got to understand HR. You got to understand really the finances and how to bid that job. I was saying the cleaning industry, majority of the businesses, they don't know how to price a job correctly. And when you don't know how to price a job correctly, you go in and you underbid. And when you underbid and you pay everybody, you got no money. So it's like, think, the cleaning business is an easy business to get into. So anyone can say like, okay, well, I can go to the broom, I get a mop, I'm a cleaner, and get pass out business cards. But then as they're doing it, you got that one person running that business. And then they may have help from their cousin or their sons. And as you see over time, they're gonna get tired and they aren't really building a business. They're really just like, they're just cleaning. Like they, they got a glorified job, it's like some people would say. And I would say in my community, is a, there's, there's not many people who could tell me what it is that I need to do. So it's like, I have to reach other places for this information. And sometimes it costs. Now there is a lot of people also in our community, but it's very slim who actually know like, what the fuck is going on? But they're not gonna mess with you, you fucking around. Right. Like they're not like some of these people that I meet is that they're serious. You know their time is important, so they aren't going to. If I'm coming to them and they see that I don't have my just my structure right, they're not gonna want to sit and talk with me because I don't know what's going on yet. Right. And so it takes, you know, blacks in America to to make these changes as far as even business is just to really get educated on the basics. And I know a lot of people, they don't they don't like, they say like entrepreneurs, if you wanna be an entrepreneur, you don't need to go to school. I would say I personally have a different approach to that. I think that we should go to school because you have to be able to understand structure and discipline. Easy, you can learn that in school, maybe the military, I haven't been in the military, but I've been to school and I was able to most definitely at Morehouse go through the minutia of that school and the roadblocks that they put in front of you, which is a roadblock they're gonna put in life. But if you're just in life, you get to fail. You're gonna, like you fail, when you fail, it can mean death, it can mean jail, it can mean so many different things, but like in college, it can mean the same things, but it's like your severity level isn't that high. So by your severity level not being that high, you can make mistakes and then wake up and go to class. You can make a mistake on a test and not know something and take that class again or you can like relearn something but in life it's sometimes if you make a mistake it's like you make that mistake like it's over that, that was your one chance and so school is like that buffer period where you can actually learn these foundational pieces i took accounting classes so i understand the basics of accounting which is what you need to know because you know once you grow your business you allow a professional accountant to do your account to do that you don't do it yourself but if you don't know the basics, you won't even know what that account is doing. And so a lot of people, they have a lot of different messages, which of course anyone could do whatever they want to do. But I would say for our community, maybe that looks like, you know, the black going to HBCUs. And I have a whole nother thing about HBCUs, specifically mine, where, you know, we need to change our curriculum and gear it more towards actually like I consider like just making the beats, like making the, these leaders that we have. Like these leaders, there's so many leaders from Morehouse, financial space. Let's talk about Paul Judge who's building Greenwood, a black bank. I would say Paul Judge most definitely is getting a lot more recognition now for what he's doing, but Paul Judge isn't a young guy. Paul Judge is most definitely up there. 
Paul Judge, most definitely, he's had startups throughout college. There's a doctor degree from Georgia Tech. He started several companies. He owns one of the, he's a, on the, like one of the founders of a very large cybersecurity company. Who knows what Dr. Judge is genuinely doing? Let's look at Rayshawn Williams, who's one of my professors, who's, a, I would say, a very, very extensive investor. He was the first investors in Ring, Doorbell, Uber, Lyft, Zen Waters. He was the investors for a lot of these companies. And, you know, luckily he's come back to teach us. And I would say him, him teaching us that class is where I, I started to find out the basics of what it is that, that I need to know to build my companies because I just reverse engineer what these other large companies did. But having him talk to me, talk to my other brothers in that class and tell us like, hey, this is what they don't want you to know, right? But this wasn't a lecture. Like, this was a class that was sneak. It was snuck onto the schedule. If you didn't know who Professor Williams was, you wouldn't know about this class and that at Morehouse, they didn't promote these things. I would say at the school, it's most definitely dudes in there just lollygagging, drifting, drifting away through the school. And like, I mean, it's really not a game because it's, it's warfare out here. You know, we as everything that she's mentioning is like, it's war. And you see who's who's on the, on the losing side. It's majority of us and her just talking about the school districts and that warfare and how they're changing laws to where this person can stay in office forever, but we don't know that, right? And it's a school district, and who, what is the school district doing? It's teaching our children, so they can probably do whatever it is they want because they have their buddy in the office, but we don't know that, right? And so when it comes to, it comes to our education, I think, I can only speak for Morehouse and the schools that I go to. I can't speak for other schools. I don't know what they're doing. I didn't go there. But I know most definitely at my school, you know, over time it's going to get better with professors like Professor Williams coming back and devoting his time, his important time to us and teaching us these things. But it allows us, these powerhouses that I could say Morehouse is built, to come back and to really give us the game, really understand what's going on in this world. You know, people like Miss Turner, think if you were a professor teaching us what's really going on. The people who actually want to get into politics, but a lot of people say they want to do a lot of things, right? But they have their planning. They don't know what they're doing, you know? Like, I'm sure if people thought for a moment I was playing when I wanted to start, you know, my company. And I mean, for a while, there were people who didn't believe, you know, what it is that I was doing. But I believe, like I said, God told me to do what it is that I'm doing. And I'm still not at a level where I want to be, but I would say I'm on the way. And I'm able to meet people who are on the way, and I would say there's a good pool of people who are playing. And it's like we have to wake our community up. It's like we sleep, we're drifting. And it, and it could be from a lot of things that they say, it could be from the water we're drinking, from the food that we're eating. It's like this conversation can go down the rabbit hole. Education is not just done in schools. It's done with experience. And it's done when you are doing an apprenticeship or you're working under somebody or your family is teaching you about the business or somebody took a special interest in you. And knowledge is power. Knowledge and power equals money. Money equals more power. So that's one of the reasons why certain things are not taught. Two years from now, we're gonna, we're gonna have a presidential race. And these folks are lining up 
behind the scenes, putting folk in place, having meetings, <laughs> calling us together, having conferences, and organizing, raising that money. It's always about those election cycles. Uh, you may want to form, and off this camera, I'm going to give you some names. I was writing down for him. Your own group. You may want to look at minority groups with incomes less than a million dollars a year to put into your group, serious people. And then there are some mentors in this city who will help you along. Now, what would be their interest? Because you always got to look at a win-win. Mm-hmm. They are going to look at the power that you bring collectively to the table. And that power that you can collectively bring to the table can elect the next governor in this state. It can uh, elect the next congressman or make a difference in the race. Because then you form your own PACs, your own political money, your own group. And what do we have in common? Our synergy is that we want these African-American businesses to thrive. And how do we do that? Because some of the markets we don't even know about yet that exist and that are available to us and, and, and to you. I remember, well, I won't say, but let, let me say one more thing to y'all. Uh, we were talking about Maynard Jackson. Well, you know, Maynard Jackson had a conscience and Harriet Tubman had a gun. <laughs> So it was two different two different times, and they had to have two, two different approaches. So now you have social media, you have each other, and you have a conscience because you're leaders. Mm-hmm. You just need somebody that's going to bring you together. You don't just have to choose between Democrat and Republican. Now I'm going to commit the cardinal sin. You can choose not to vote. And that's what I'm saying. Like about a third of the Georgians didn't do. They didn't. And then you have Democrats and Republicans clamoring, trying to get it. What do we do to get these folks? What do we do to rock this group? What do we do to get their votes? And you have other parties that are springing up. And you've got the leverage that, you know what? It's really a business transaction. I don't give you my vote until I have seen some demonstration for what I want, what makes right. a difference with me. And so, if you don't have finance, you can't have no romance now. Right. So you've got to have the finance. And it needs to be done legally, ethically, and that pie needs to be divided up. Right. There ain't no reason in this state, in this city, for us to have a black government and only a few black folk making all the money. Who else making it? A black government. The development not too far from you, sitting right here in Lakewood, right across over there by the airport, over there in Silver Hills, all that land that's being brought up and all those developments. You may have some people sitting right there on that model board. Look how the model board is put together. Who are given, who are appointed by either the CEO of the Cal County or the mayor of the city of Atlanta, different ways they get on there, according to you know those counties that's involved and who's paying. And they're going to vote the way those heads of states want them to vote. So we go up in the West End and we decide how we're going to go about taking the land for what? Taking the houses for what? You know, I'm not saying that's what they're doing, but I'm saying that's that's how things are done. It seems like black people as a whole don't have the same community. uh, Definitely, the same. yeah. They don't have the same community because we don't have the same morality or ethics uh, 
any two time periods. So it's like, even if we, we were not to vote, there's no monolith for, for black people. Even if you have different like visions, there's still nothing holding us together. At one point it was um, like the, the black church and um, at least the idea of like equal rights. But now we believe in so many different things and so many people have different visions of where they want to be 10, 20 years from now. How do you unify this group of people? Well, you can do it with, with the financial. Uh, that's one way that you can unify. Show what we don't have as people and why you have to stick together as a group of people and make the politicians bow to, and you learn the rules. All right, City of Atlanta. How, how, what percentage of your contracts in every area are going to minority contractors? The Atlanta School Board, what about you? Both of those governments are controlled by black people. That's right here in our hands. Hmm? The Cab County, where most of the Democratic votes come out of, and 73 or 74% of the vote for Democrats come from the black community. What about those contracts? So when you get money, you can make it break a politician. You get money, you got money to meet, you got money to advertise, you got money to control media, you got money to organize. That's why it's so important. You still have a whole lot of folk in that category. Now, we're not talking about people who may not see it that way. I'm not angry with them. And in the words of Robert Brisbane, and I was a young lady then, 18, 19, 20, he said, by the time you all get 50 or 60, you're going to have many of you sitting right here in this room who are totally assimilated. Huh? Mm. What you mean? <laughs> the great America. Now I understand. Mm. And, you know, well, just let me say something real basic here. When you look at vital statistics, especially among African-American men, African-American men lead in this country. Any other ethnic group or even white men marrying outside of their race. Now you tell me why it's that. See what I mean? Now the basis, the basis of your you, you got to take care of this body, right? Mm -hmm. The next most important step you can make in life, to me, this is to me, is who you going to serve, who is your God. But the next then is who you going to marry. That's who you lay on the pillow with. Huh? That's who you exchange your body fluids with. That's who you bring your money home to. Well, but they, are you against that? No, I'm just telling giving you something to think about. So before we could even take care of our own community, I don't think we knew what integration was. Or, you know, we're quick to open our doors and our arms to everybody else. But is the Jewish community that quick with us? Is the um, Latino community, which we don't even speak, most of us don't speak Spanish. I know all of Espanol. Are they that quick? Certainly not the white community. <laughs> when I became the president of Atlanta Federation of Teachers, I was told by my very mentors in the AFT, you have to put some white folk on your board. I said, we're not doing anything to keep white folk off. Exactly. But when it was all white, they weren't doing anything to put us on either. Exactly. I'm not against integration. But if you don't take care of home first, you're going to always take a step one 
forward in 2000. Now, if all of us could become bi and tri-racial right now, maybe we wouldn't have this problem. Then we would have the problem that other countries have dividing up the wealth still. So you find your community when you decide centrally, this is what I believe in, this is what I want. And as young, educated, healthy, gifted, African-American men, you already have everything you take. Y'all know how to pull folk together on Twitter and Twitter and Instagram and all of that. I almost said twerk. But <laughs> you can bring your community together, you can start organizing. Now, I just sat here and gave him three names, and when we're off the camera, I'm going to hook you up. You want to organize your African-American women and men who have businesses who can come together alike and start demanding, you know, contracts. You can demand it because she said, well, I can fairly be with the city of Atlanta and with the state government. Get that low-hanging fruit first. Mm-hmm. That, that's a very good start and then you'll be on your way politicians will start coming to you you know they're, they're very docile during election time they almost become like women on the street <laughs> I, know, I know I'm being rude and crude okay that's, that's usually the way it, you know when it's election time they just as humble some of them won't talk to you because they don't have to you know I don't even have to pay your attention because you don't have anything in there that I hate Mm-hmm. But as long as it's according where they're positioned. But you have a lot of leverage. Organize yourselves, know what you want, and y'all come together and you work for it. Just like they did maybe in Athens, Georgia. African Americans have a round, they got a round table down there. It's called it's almost like a star chamber. And they walk it in rolling. Now some of them are divided now. Michael Thurman and all those folks, Keith Heard and all those folks. Them came out. I can know no more than one name. So I'll give it to them. They, they did. And you can do the same thing right here in Lakewood. You can do it in Cascade. And you bring them together. So these three men who I, I know personally are ethical. They got thriving businesses. And they brought other black men to the table at the state house. Can help you organize what you want to organize. Turn it over to you. But they're going to help you thrive. That's what we got to hang when you like, I just read something where they talk about um, they just found evidence that the FBI, uh, I said the feds, it was the FBI, but the feds was infiltrating twenty twenty protesters. So I mean, is that type of thing we gonna have to still deal with? Is people infiltrating our movement, stopping th- stuff like that from happening? If you are a leader and you're a member, let's say of the Latin Federation, I'm going to see if you can recruit anybody at your school. We ain't looking for the money. I'm looking to see what you are saying to the person and if you believe in the union yourself. If we ask you to post this announcement or ask the principal to announce it, can you ask the principal to do it? Because I know what the board policy says you can do. Mm-hmm. Do you know where to find the board policy? Or if not, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see how willing you are. Mm-hmm. If we need you to come and stand with the Starbucks workers so that they can organize in the rain, <laughs> You may not be able to make that meeting, but are you going to be responsive to us to let us know why you can't make that meeting? Mm. Because we're standing together. So there are various tests. How many meetings you show up to? We just put a lady on a board uh, out in uh, Georgia Federation of Teachers that's in the Cayap County. 
And I would see this woman at the board meetings. She she knew the issues. She always had a pleasant attitude, but if you talked to her, she was on it. And she would talk to people at her school about various issues, even before she joined the union. She had that mindset so she could connect the dots. So they're, they're different type of tests. They, they may not all have the same checkoff mark, mm-hmm. but as to a member that want to sign because they know darn well if it's to wreck their car and now pay for it. Mm-hmm. See, we have some people who join the union and then they got a problem, existing problem, mm-hmm. and then they come to us and want us to take care of it. When all, no, if that was a pre-existing policy, I say, can you do cars that way or houses that way? Burn them down and then go get insurance? <laughs> See, this is a movement. This is not about just taking your dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean... And you know, kudos even to our national organization. I don't see some things that didn't sound good. But all of that money that these teachers pay into these organizations, that money is divided up. We don't keep it here locally. We help put folk in office, out of office. We put issues out there. We, we get behind superintendents that ought to be in office. They ought to be there. We try to take some board members out and be honest about it. We do. We try to put some board members on. We have informational meetings in the community. We do rescue with water and with food and just like the Red Cross. Um, so we do a lot of social things also to help folk, like Dr. King did when he was in Memphis. I remember he was with the uh, Asthma Union up there. But always remember this, even when you form your organization. No organization is any better than the folk who lead in it. Mm. Always remember this. Remember those seven habits. Seven habits of effective uh-huh. leadership. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Look at what folk do at home. And that's going to really tell you what they're going to do with greater things. He that's ruler over small things, the Lord will make him move, you know, rule over greater things. If I'm going to cheat you over five or ten cents, and I'm not going to cheat on my income tax. I don't care if we may not like Uncle Sam <laughs> or we do. Obey the law of the land. Did that mean I'm going to cheat you? If I am going to tell this man I love him, and I do, and then I'm going to turn around and look at somebody else or cheat on him, even before I marry him mm-hmm. and I'm engaged, if I was that man, I never would went home. Okay? You're supposed to be faithful to me because you love me. And you show me that love And the same thing with men So look at what people do in their private lives And when they don't want you to know about their private life And they can't live an open book life Put that red flag up So walk with integrity And be able to stand on what you say There's a big brother trying to think of his name That died about two years ago Right up there in West End And used to walk the streets Name hmm. uh, uh, start with H they had some street groomers, about five or six of them, and they kept the peace right over there in West End. I get his name for you. He's now, he's now deceased. But walk with integrity, but take care of yourself too. The Lord ain't here but one Jesus to sacrifice himself on that cross, so you don't have to go do that. <laughs> and if your spirit don't witness with the person, walk. <laughs> the other thing I'm gonna say, stay in prayer, cause we're just human. We don't know everything. There is a God. I believe there's a God. I didn't make me. I can't explain me. 
And then God will give you answers because he don't have a respect of persons, man. Y'all are leaders. You have a dream. And there ain't no reason. And I don't think God against you making money. Me and Crypto Dollar together on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think God is against you making money at all. There's scriptures to back that up. Right. But it's what you want to do with your money. Because money is just a tool. Right. And you deserve to be able to make it and have a good life right here on earth as you service the community. So you have a service for the community. What you do. Shoot, I want somebody, somebody to clean my house. You know? <laughs> you have a service that you are offering. Maybe we could talk off camera. And great and great <laughs> value. You have that. You have the same thing. What y'all are doing here tonight. Y'all are offering so much to the community. So I'm going to give you those three names. I'm going to let those men know that you're going to call them. So we can get a bigger meeting. We even got a place to hold it. Thank God we don't have to go to the hotel and do Dr. King them had all those folks spying on. You ain't got to worry about that. Maybe maybe shoot some some, uh, episodes in there. Yeah. I mean, this is the beginning. I mean, I am just so thrilled uh, to see you all doing what you're doing. And they used to have this thing, we came home to get a good job, get a good education. Well, I ain't looking for no job necessarily now. I'm looking to create jobs. I'm looking for wealth. I'm looking for innovation. I'm looking for what we call progressive thinkers, analytical thinkers, problem solvers. That's what we're looking for. And that's what y'all represent. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's um, wrap this up. I know it's been going on for a minute. But any lasting... Um, Last any quotes or any any reflections y'all want to discuss before we get off for this episode? Uh, no, I think we we covered a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, there 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 is one quote that I um I forget what I was watching. It, it, it was pretty much around black leaders and um uh it, it was pretty much like skepticism with black leaders. And a quote that came up was J. Edgar Hoover's and. and the, the creating of, of a black messiah after they pretty much either arrested or uh, killed off most of the civil rights leader, leaders uh, that there would never be another black messiah unless we create one. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that and how most people are unwilling to trust uh, black leaders that seem to spring up out of nowhere or that are um, appointed yeah, appointed uh, or, or groomed to be in these positions today. Never say never. God is in charge and people can think. I don't care what Hoover said. You know, Hoover he was dealing with his paradigm. And sometimes we don't get to the promised land in our lifetime. But we're going to get to the promised land. Was it Joshua and Caleb? Yeah, yeah. They got to the promised land. Yeah. They were old men. Yeah. Uh, the rest of them didn't get there. So, I'm doing that to what Hoover said. Okay. And you don't have to necessarily have a black leader to follow or a Hispanic leader or some Italians like Mussolini. When I was in Italy, I said, oh. And I was listening to their side of it as to why they liked it. But I said, oh, my God. I didn't know that. Because mm-hmm. my history books were teaching me something else. Mm-hmm. But 
time, you know, it's nothing really new under the sun. Ecclesiastes is right. But when enough pressure comes and the right time comes, leadership comes. Mm. It comes. But at the same time, you all are building for that. I think that we're getting to a point where, like right now, we may not see the change, but it's not about, like, there's there's not going to be a dramatic change unless, like, you know, something catastrophic happens and make that change come about. It's about the... It's um it's considered like a flywheel. Every every leader that we've had so far is like they pushed it one one little bit. They move like to one to the next stop. There's gonna be another leader, another leader, and another leader, and eventually that flywheel is gonna break and it's gonna start spinning and that's almost maybe that's the heaven that we are envision is the world that we live in. Maybe that's the world where it's peace and love is when each leader slowly keeps pushing that flywheel to get to the next level. Like right now, is everything that we're going through is the flywheel being pushed to the next stop, in my opinion. Dr. King did his push, Malcolm X did his push, she did her push, and she's still she's still here pushing. No, she didn't finish her push. And now it's like we're doing our push, having these conversations. And you know, soon it's gonna be more and more leaders who like get really to that next level. And then we're gonna go through another heap of problems. It's always going to be the problems, but like she said, they're looking for problem solvers, and we, like we're always going to deal with the problem. But it's like, well, how can we? Like, really, it's let's just let's come up with a solution. It's like a test, you know. It, like, it makes th- it makes me think of two things. One, when when you talk about um, leaders, it it means that they're, they're taking you to a certain place. And then you brought up a, a point of something catastrophic with everything that's going on right now in the country. If we get to a point. Of of breaking um, or pointing no return with the way that things look uh, financially, um, with so many different divides uh, across the board, with the the clash of different groups of people, different ideologies, does that push push us away and into our own thing? Is that the best solution? Removing us from the system that looks like it can't be fixed from the inside. Well, you know, the Roman Empire took 500 years for it to become powerful. And it was in its heyday for 500 years. And then it took 500 years to decline. The United States is only 200 some years old. Don't mean it has to be here next year. Kingdoms, governments come and go. Mm-hmm. We don't know what it's going to look like, but it, it you know it doesn't have to be the United States that it could be something totally different. But what do we want it to be? So folk who and this is suggesting me, folk who won't abide by the Constitution, folk who don't respect. We the people, or we believe that all men are created equal. I don't care if a white man did write it. If he didn't believe it, or if he didn't see you as a man, <laughs> we know you are. Mm-hmm. All right? I got problems with them. I believe that the United States um, is an indirect democracy, but I believe that we should have honest. People of integrity. They can't tell everything, of course. They can't tell every secret as to why they do certain things. But 
I don't know of another country that I would fight for. I, I mean, I just, I just don't. I don't have that kind of information. I happen to think that I'm living in the best country now. I am not going to ever support, I don't care who it is, to try to topple my government, to try to take it down. I don't care if it's a Republican they tried to topple, a Democrat they tried to topple. I don't care if it's a heterosexual, homosexual, I don't care what it is. But if you are trying to topple my government, I got a problem with you. And I think all of us have to have a have problem. Well, I, don't, I think a lot of people may not look at, look at it that way. Like a lot of people may not understand how grateful we are just living in America. Mm-hmm. I guess because of so, the problems that we are dealing with in America, with the government, or just with our leaders in America today. And we like, focus on that. And we, we focus on that, but yeah. we don't focus on like the grander picture mm-hmm. that you know we could be other places. And they say, oh, maybe we need to move and go other places where there's other, there's other issues that we'll be dealing with. Like No matter where we go, we're going to be dealing with an issue of the same sort. You know, It's not going to be Unless it's heaven. Well, people who say they need to move and go other places, let them move and go other places. (laughs) By the very fact that they're trying to shut you up. See, some of the great things about this country, we can say some limited, we have some limited freedoms. You know, all freedoms are limited. But we wouldn't be able to assemble here tonight in some countries. You wouldn't have the opportunity for a cleaning business. You wouldn't have the opportunity to think as deep about politics. And I know we're limited in terms of what we know. And we're only dealing with what we know. But uh, in terms of the United States of America, I don't want to see it go away no time soon. We want to make it a better democracy. We're working for a more what? Perfect union. And we can work in harmony and we can work in peace. Now, that goes all the way back to what's in your heart, who you really are. And it's going to show now how you live your life. So that's why you have to find out more about your leaders and not what... CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and all this telling us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all those freaking talking heads at night. Mm-hmm. Go on. When you go to a hotel or your only TV and you turn it on, I got a hundred channels talking about the news. It ain't that much news. <laughs> it's nothing but a saga. And they making, you know, commercials out of it and stay tuned. I can't never get a full news story like I did with Huntley Brinkley. Okay? All right, you know, we need the fourth branch of government. We need the press. Might need to start our own, Frederick Douglass, but um, <laughs> just to answer the question, America, make it great again, excuse me. What that mean? What that mean? Uh, I'm just saying, well, I was told- let's make America greater for everybody. <laughs> what about that? I, I was told make, make America Great Again was 1954, I believe. Oh, yeah. Go back. You're absolutely correct. You can go back to those campaigns that many of the Republicans had. I'm trying to think when I was looking at it. I, I don't know if it was the pre-Reagan years or the Nixon years in California or, or Hoover years, but you can go back and look at where that originated from. That didn't just originate with uh, Trump. President Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I know we got to still say it. <laughs> he in office. Hallelujah. He's not in office. Well, well, he, well, are we doing dealing with an investigation right now, though? Are we dealing with an investigation? We're dealing with an investigation, right? The January 6th? Yeah. So what, what's going on with that? Like, I don't, I mean... What y'all think should happen? Let out. 
I mean, Georgia just had they. You just had a young lady on the news uh, that was on the jury talking about what she what's prob- probably going to happen. What did she say? She said somebody somebody should get held accountable. That was her quote, based off what was evidence. That doesn't mean they will be held accountable. Who's the somebody? Said, I wonder. Yeah. What was her name? Emily. Is that her name? Oh, she didn't. She said the names that we do know. She didn't say any names, but she said a lot of names we do know. I guess certain things she couldn't say. How is she able to speak before you know they come with a like verdict? Hey, can, you can do that. Which is interesting. Especially she if she's on on the jury. If she's on, the, she's a, she's a member of the jury discussing an ongoing case. Yeah, but that could be applied. Case. That could be applied in itself. That's interesting. Well, President Trump, some of his accounts were shut down on social media, right? Mm-hmm. And now they open back up. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Trump sales. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, which, mm-hmm. which makes the the overall view of it look like it's a a, a soap opera, a telenovela. Where um, we could teach some classes in the media. I got another person who introduced you to him. Turns out how the media works. Mm-hmm. Right, so with all of these working pieces that add to this this Drop. production, <laughs> <laughs> how do you know what is real and, and what's not? Isn't that, isn't that right? How do you know what's the truth? The many times we don't. Right. So are 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 we feeding into a machine that is keeping us? Docile. It's keeping us asleep. It's keeping us dormant. That that's selling you this this dream to keep this system afloat so that you never want to break free from it. Great word. System. Mm-hmm. Uh, this capitalistic system afloat. Mm-hmm. This capitalism and you know sprinkled throughout, even in the churches. Uh, yes. And no. Uh, now, just for me in my house, many times I go on a media fast. I didn't turn it off. And I found out seven days later I didn't miss much at all. I turned it off, and because some of those things are totally irrelevant that we have no control over. Right. So try to take control or have some control over what God has given you dominion over. In other words, take one step at a time. Because he was asking earlier how, to, how you get the politics take one step at a time. I do believe that. And everything else, the Lord will guide you. And I'm not trying to just be passive with this. He will actually guide you in the next thing to do. Right where you are in Atlanta, Georgia, February 23rd, 23. He'll guide you tomorrow, the next day. Because some things you don't know about variables and uh, things that are happening in the community. Oh, I already agree with that. And then you have another opportunity. There's no way in the world I ever thought about being a union president, y'all. Mm. How would I think about that? It's not even a union state. It's not. That's, That's a whole thing. different book, how that came about. And sometimes I look back on it, and then sometimes I listen to people on this particular network talk about how, well, I'm just going to name one, all right? Whether you like them or not. Joe Osteen. The reason I like listening to Ojo Osteen sometimes. <laughs> Say it like you mean it. <laughs> Joe talks about where his dad came from. And Joe sat behind a camera. He never thought he passed him. He didn't go to theological seminary. 
I have heard some preachers say, yeah, but every day he don't mention Jesus. Listen to what he say at the end. I got a whole few See, see, everything ain't done undercover, you know, at behind the scenes. Some things are done miraculously for you, and the Lord will open those doors for you. I think we know enough in the fact that we're trying to educate ourselves, and God will help us along. He's sovereign, but he's given us power, too. Bethlehem doing a series on that. I don't go to Bethlehem's church, and I'm just saying. I ain't trying to promote one preacher over another. But, you know, you need to learn from some of everybody. That's another one. He, you can take it in case of point. The man had a dream. He's doing a lot of things in the community. Folks don't even know anything about. They're going through a lot of illnesses and all. Came from just working class folk. Got different business ventures that you can't even tell church folk that they had. You know, that kind of thing. But so many people employed who look like me, even. And, it's a, and he, I think he has an adopted son. It's a white boy, so, I don't, so you can't say that it's all about black folk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just saying. So cash your buckets down where you are. Y'all know who said that? What does that mean? Booker T. Washington. What does that mean? That means right where you are, every resource that you have or that you can call upon, utilize it. Okay? So, had I not... This young man is a member of my union. Well, we got a lot of members. How did I meet him? We were over there passing out uh, membership packs. Mm -hmm. And that was back August, I think, or mm -hmm. something. And he said, I want you to come on the show. And then I started looking at it. And we finally got a schedule. Now, here we are tonight, right? And as you all talk about your businesses, I know three businessmen that can help you bring this to your dreams together and then work with you and want to. These guys really want to. So one thing leads to another. Now when I get in the wheelchair, which I don't ever plan to be, <laughs> all right, I want y'all to bring me an apple and an orange when I... <laughs> <laughs> so one last thing I do want to talk about um, before we uh, we end this uh, this segment is um, before I did interview um, previous candidate for Georgia's uh, school superintendent Alicia Searcy, I know she had a, she said a couple you know claims of you know why she pretty much felt why, why the union you know didn't really endorse anymore she felt like didn't endorse her. And she kind of was just saying, and I, I, I put a clip in there just to give our viewers understanding what she was saying. But she kind of went along the lines of saying that um, pretty much people are playing politics with union members' money. Um, so I want to know, what was your take? What's your take on that? You know, her saying that. I knew Alicia when she was Alicia Thomas, when she was Alicia Thomas Morgan, when she was Alicia Thomas Morgan and the next husband, and Alicia Thomas Morgan, the next husband, and Cersei. She wanted to be known as uh, candidate Cersei because she has a history. She has a blueprint, and you all don't know it. Mm -hmm. uh, Alicia was one of the first black people elected in Cobb County. She came to us when half of my hair was brown, and now the labor council, she made a case before us, the labor got behind her, and we elected her. Alicia was, had many mentors. She was smart enough and, you know, to learn her way around. I have to give her that. Uh, all people who went to Spelman aren't my sister, okay? And I'm over to them now. So, <laughs> but I'll I, I, I say this. She did an internship under Dr. Lowry, the esteemed Dr. Lowry. She was part of NAACP. 
Um, she has, uh, I don't know what sorority she's a part of, but she is a sorority, a.k.a. I thought she was something, one of those. Uh, but dealt to somebody. Anyway, uh, Alicia, uh, and, and you can ask about this, there was an older white lady that sat on the Cobb County board. Her name was Mrs. Gray. And Mrs. Gray took Alicia under her arm and mentored her. Well, when Alicia married uh, David Morgan, they ousted Mrs. Gray. And David took the seat. David Morgan, with uh, American Federation of Children, what a great name, some of that money that Betsy DeVos Foundation and all, got together with other organizations too, like Better Options of Our Kids, Cesar Mitchell's brother and all. Some of them didn't even know what they were promoting. And they actually bought that stuff about charter schools. Well, the American Federation of Teachers would have wanted the first groups out there embracing charter schools, but not company charter schools. Not charter schools that can segregate and take your money off the top and don't have to be held as accountable to the standards that other, other schools have to be, okay? Because you notice those charter schools don't want those kids who can't feed themselves and hold their heads up and all that kind of thing. They don't want that. They don't want those real uh, behavior problems. Mm-hmm. A lot of them scam right off the top. Some of the best that we have to offer in our schools, and they look very, real good, don't they? All right, so I just gave y'all a little snippet of that. But uh, Alicia started running for state school superintendent, and we saw the groups who she had wedded herself to. We saw a group like uh, Black Association of Elected Officials, and we saw the money behind that group, where they would look at talented African-Americans, and they would tap them to run for office, write books for them, make them stars. And where that money was coming from, they could take these folk and put them out into the African, African-American community, and they look real good. So when Alicia came before Labor to be endorsed, and Charlie Fleming at the time, he just retired as AFL-CIO president, he was Central Labor Council president, conducted the meeting. Mary Lou Romaine, she just retired. She's the president of the Atlanta Federation of Teachers. And uh, she was with UAW and all these people. She, she sat there and said, you all, and I'm sitting here looking at her, just uh, want to remain status quo. Well, I didn't know that was the mantra. That was the word that they were being told to tell in order to push this charter school amendment. Now, I can give you Betsy DeVos' speeches. And, and, and when we were fighting the Opportunity School District, we, I mean, I, I got a PhD in Betsy DeVos. And who <laughs> she was and what she did and what kind of business she was making out of these darn schools. I mean, we can give it to you, what she's saying. We had it on our website. We took it around the state. Alicia, running for state school superintendent, she smiles. She's a pretty girl. She's very polite. Okay? But Alicia is not an educator. And Alicia was supporting Alicia. And Alicia was wedded to some of the very people who we were fighting in terms of what real education is, evidence-based research education. I don't give a doggone after she lost, and we have to lose, because Valerie Wilson, look at who Valerie Wilson is. Valerie Wilson is an esteemed woman of integrity. She's head of the Georgia School Board Association right now as executive director. We got in that race at the midnight hour, and I burnt wood to make sure Alicia was not going to be our state school superintendent. I remember when we were fighting some of those amendments down at the state house, she told folks, and then I got the calls back, just like I got the call about the comedian that had me on. And thank you, comedian. <laughs> but Alicia said, oh, so you're going to be a loser, just like Verdaya Turtle. When they called me up, I started laughing. I said, excuse me. 
All right. So Alicia would, what she could say is that she was black and that she could, she certainly could win young black women over. She was having lunches with black women. She was organizing them then. Where did she get the money? And uh, Alicia certainly was attractive to black to black men, and she had to smile. And she was a full time politician. We worked for we worked. Okay, I'm about to say work for a living, but we worked. So Alicia, that supported that charter school amendment, and they got busy down there when, when Stacey Abrams turned her caucus loose after they had voted against that darn thing, and then said, "Vote your conscience." After going in to see the governor, that's how we got that First Amendment on that ballot. And that's why that money can go to all types of schools. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and so, and uh, so she'll say whatever. Yeah. And so when she came back this time, we were shocked that she was coming back. Mm-hmm. And she came on back. After folk, I got all kind of calls. Are you running Turner? Are you running Turner? Are you running Turner? Are you running Turner? And so after I wasn't running, the little guy there in uh, Clayton County got on there. The guy that you was up in Cobb County. Howard, right? Uh, yeah. When Howard got on there, nobody was running against him. All of a sudden, three days left to qualify and folk popping up like Alicia. <laughs> they had money. Uh, Alicia should never hold public office. Never, 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 unless she apologized to Georgia. Talk about the money that was behind her. Went back and got a certification or a degree in education. Ivy Prep hired her, and all of a sudden she was superintendent. And one of the schools broke down. I don't think they fired her, but I think the bad boy had the clothes. The fact that you have a degree or that you taught as a supply teacher for three or four months or that you were in a, a, a school for one year does not make you a professional no more than going to school to be a doctor and taking a cadaver, splitting it open, make you a major surgeon. Now, in education, we've been duped. It's the only occupation that runs through with taxpayers where there's no evidence behind what most of these folk do. No research to back it up. They don't want to look at the OECD, Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, and what top countries do, and what makes what the matrix shows, what makes, and there are about six of them, we're talking about that in another show, where education does not fail and children come out as thinkers, where parents are involved, where, the, where discipline problems are down, and you are engaged as a student because the curriculum is one that's dynamic, where we have not revamped our curriculum the way we should. That I can get on a preaching story about that. Alicia for his unconcern. Well, I ain't gonna say that word either. But I'm glad she lost. <laughs> she should have lost. Now she can reinvent herself the same way Saul of Tarsus did and became Paul if she wants to. But ain't no shortcuts in this. And as long as I got breath in my body, the Ron Mayos of the world, the Ralph Long the thirds of the world, he did do some things right. Thank you, Ralph. All those folk who were piling up on Dr. Hall and didn't even know what was going on, weren't educators and don't want to hear it because they own a mantra of what they could control. I'm going to fight them all the way down to my bones. This ain't about money with me now. So as you see, um, we've talked about so many various things from Georgia politics to us just living out our purpose. Um, Miss Verdelia Turner has gave us a great history lesson and, and great insight on things that we don't even know about as far as the power of voting, 
the power the impact that voting has and also just, you know, us being informed to make the right decisions um, in order to control the dollars and even the contract that we talked about. So once again, thank you so much for getting on our show. Um, also, Brother Yusef, thank you for coming on our show, uh, joining us on the episode and giving us insight on, you know, your business and, you know, pretty much tying it together, being a young person, a young voter, and also educating, you know, kind of just tying the education uh, loophole together and educating us on stuff that we don't know. So thank you. Totally. Anybody thank you, you guys, too, you know, bringing us on here. You know, this right here is the conversations that will push the flywheel forward, so you guys got to keep having them and, you know, keep having people who, who know things and to be able to tell us. Like what's really going on? Right. Well, we look forward to having you back. But well, thank you, and uh, I'm going to suggest some people for you too okay. that you can bring on. But thank you so much. Thank you, young people, for thank you all of your work. And thank you for your wisdom. Well, I definitely learned a lot. Once again, so please join us on um, all social media platforms. We've just been added to. Uh, Apple, we've been on Apple Podcasts, but iHeartRadio. We've been added to that. So continue to keep watching us. We'll be on YouTube, Facebook, you name it. Stay tuned.